It's Ezekiel chapter 1, reading verses 1 to 28. And again, found on page 799 of the Bibles in the seats. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kebar River, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kebar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The centre of the fire looked like glowing metal and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side had the face of a lion, and on the left the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out upward. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on either side, the two wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures were like, was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like chrysolite. And all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved. And when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go. And the wheels would rise along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. 
When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like an expanse, sparkling like ice and awesome. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out, one toward another, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and heard the voice of one speaking. Thank you, Wayne. That was a very long reading, wasn't it? Please feel free to stand up and say hello to someone you haven't said hello this morning. You got into that, didn't you? You're all racing around the room. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you and praise you that uh, you are the God who speaks to us. You're the God who has spoken to us clearly in the person of our Lord Jesus. You are the God who has revealed to us in your word all that you were, all that we should know. And we ask that as we, as we turn to it, that, Lord, you might help us, help us to understand this passage, help me to explain it, and please, we ask, uh, keep me from error, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you to Wayne. That's uh, really quite a read, isn't it? It's a long one and it's a hard one, so uh, forgive me for that. Uh, it's a strange sight in an unexpected place. Uh, Larry Walters was a man in the United States who came up with a great idea. He thought it was a great idea. He's always wanted to fly, he had a passion to fly. And so he tied 45 weather balloons, 45 weather balloons to his lawn chair, uh, better known as Banana Lounge. Unfortunately, things didn't quite go to plan for Larry. He uh, cut the anchor, which had kept him, you know, safe and secured to the ground, and he shot up to an altitude of, we worked out, 11,000 feet. Uh, Larry was seen at 11,000 feet by a very surprised and horrified Pan Am pilot. Does anyone ever remember Pan Am? Who's flown on Pan Am? 
anyone. It's a long time ago, Pan Am. It's just like if anyone was here below the age of 40, I doubt almost that they'd know who, what Pan Am is. Larry, uh, sorry, the pilot had to phone in to, to tell the LA airport tower what he had seen. seen. Can you imagine the pilot talking to the air traffic controller? There was Larry, and he had to be, uh, the, the report had to come in. How do you explain that there is a man with 45 weather balloons tied to him on a lounge chair sitting at 11,000 feet? A very strange sight in a most unexpected place. Uh, by the way, Larry survived that, believe it or not. Larry survived. Can you believe that? Larry, uh, I don't know if Larry was ever let out of the loony bin, but that's another story. Ezekiel starts with a very strange sight, and it's also in a most unexpected place. There are three visions in Ezekiel, chapter 1 to 3 here, and we read a bit of chapter 1. Chapters 8 to 11, chapters 40 to 48 are three visions and they sort of seem to highlight Ezekiel's career. This one's in Babylon uh, in 11. He's back in Jerusalem. And then back in chapter 40, he's in the restored temple kingdom that is there in chapter 40. Here in 1 to 3, the vision is, unsurprisingly, you know, one of divine majesty, the prophet he sits by the Chibar Canal one summer day with the north wind blowing, which isn't unusual, and suddenly coming towards him is a glowing illuminated cloud encircled by a radiance, you might see in verse 4. The vision is coming from the north, and that's no accident because God is coming from the north because that is where the Babylonians are going to come. And they are coming because God has sent them uncomfortably because they are coming in judgment. And there's a phrase that runs through all this, through verse 4, verse 7, verse 16, verse 22, verse 26, uh, glowing or like the gleam of, if you have a, an older translation. And it ties this all together because there's a sense of great glowing and almighty radiance in this vision. We see the figure riding on a chariot and the paragraphs between them describe the living creatures. And as the cloud neared, four glowing creatures became visible in its lowest part of the vision. There are, they are like humans in a standing position. Their legs and their hands are visible, but they have four faces and four wings. The faces have different animals on them, not just a human face, but other faces of other animals. The creatures are configured, it seems, in a square, and they're joined at their wingtips to one another. And as they move, they seem to always move together as one. 
And wherever the chariot goes, despite it changing directions, it's always facing you. The faces are always visible. It doesn't appear that the chariot changes, uh, changes direction because none, nothing needs to turn. Wherever it goes, it's always facing you. In the middle is a flashing torch-like vision in verse 13. And the prophet sees that below and alongside each creature, there is a high complex wheel. These wheels are rimmed with eyes. The eyes move in unison with everything that's going on. There's a whole sense in this vision that there's a great unity. The different parts, yet the creatures and the wheels all seem to move as one. And the prophet, as he looks, his gaze moves upward from the creatures to where he sees a dazzling ice-like expanse born above their heads and outspread, outspread wings. And as they come nearer, he starts to notice the incredible noise. See in verse 22 to 24. And that noise is made by their wings in motion. And as their wings stop, the apparition came to a halt. And the prophet heard a sound above the expanse, expanse which makes him again look upward. Upon it, was brightly shining, radiating human figure seated. That figure was all brilliant and fiery and encased by a rainbow-like radiance. Do you like rainbows? I don't think I ever asked that question and no one says no. No, I actually don't like rainbows. Everyone likes rainbows. What do you like about rainbows? They're... Incredible. They're, the ones who are really bright are amazing. Here, the figure is encased by a rainbow-like radiance. Only then did Ezekiel realise what he's looking at. He's looking at the majesty of the almighty God. And it's then that verse 25 to 28, you see he falls awestruck to the ground. And the way this has been being presented, the, the order, it's been giving us the sense of how the prophet saw this. First the sights as the apparition drew near, then the sounds, first the lower part of the vision and then the upper part of the vision. First the motion. And then it's stopping, halting. It's giving us a sense of what Ezekiel sensed and how he saw it come to him. It's trying to map out for us how he came to understand what he was looking at. Well, I don't know about you, but the first point you could make is this is a very strange sight. It's odd. Uh, Wayne, as you read that, did it not feel odd? It did feel odd, didn't it? 
It's, that's the truth. It doesn't matter how many times you've read it. It feels strange, maybe even weird. Verse 1, chapter 8, verse 18, verse chapter 1, there are eyes everywhere. There are wheels everywhere, verse 15 to 21. God sees all and he knows all. Wheels everywhere because God can get everywhere. God is everywhere. Notice that as it changes direction, he always sees what's happened. He's never not seen. They're also creatures. It's not just a human face. The eagle, the other creatures. They're carrying the throne because God is served by everything, not just humans. And all this is carried along by the wind. Now, you know, and I know preachers stand here and will have told you a hundred times, so I know you know this point, that the Hebrew word for wind is the same word for breath, is the same word for spirit. And it's not easy to tell what you should understand, what you should understand when you translate this. So when it says wind, you might have put spirit. When it says uh, Spirit, you might have put breath. All those translations, wind, breath, spirit is the same Hebrew word. When Adam was made, God spirited him, breathed into him, put wind into him. It's That's the same word. It's the same word here. I think it's no accident, so it's not easy to tell the difference because actually all three things are often the same. On that throne, he sees a throne, sorry, and on that throne he sees almighty God himself. Look with me from verse 25 of chapter 1. There came a voice from above the expanse over their heads and as they stood with lowered wings, above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire and that from there he looked, looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. As we said, the word spirit here is the same for wind, same for breath, and it's not easy to tell which should be used as the wind that accompanies this awesome sight is the same spirit that drives the wheels. It's the same breath that radiates from the animals. At the sight of this, Ezekiel does what is common. He falls down, face down, as if dead. Because to confront God was, was to fall down dead. Ezekiel, when confronted with the majesty and the radiance of God that he's seeing before him, is struck down. But notice what happens in chapter 2, verse 2, which we haven't read. 
It's the word, breath, God, spirit, wind, breath that enters the prophet and it raises him to his feet as if resurrecting him, raising him to the task that God has for him. He said to me, verse 1, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. Just as when God, as we said, made Adam and breathed life into him, breathed, spirit, wind, God raised Ezekiel to the task that God would give him. It's an awesome picture. Even if it is weird and odd to us, it is an awesome picture when we read it of his power and his might, his purity, his unapproachable glory, and it sends shockwaves into the man we know as Ezekiel. Here is the God who made everything and holds all in his hands and the God you can't hide from. It's in an unexpected place, secondly. Ezekiel sees this vision, a vision of the God of Israel. He sees it in Babylon. He's in enemy territory. He's behind enemy lines. But it, that very place reinforces the vision itself. The wings, the eyes, the wheels, the strangeness in an unexpected place both say the same thing. It's strange and the situation they find themselves is strange. But what it does, it ties them together, is that God is the Lord of everything and despite you being in this place, God knows you are here and will rescue you. The Lord of everything can do anything and go anywhere. No matter what happens to God's people, no matter what the nation does, no matter what the other nations do to God's people and to each other, the Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, sees all, knows all, and rules all. But point three is that this is a pointless task. It's a funny, isn't it? You get this amazing vision, this amazing vision that Ezekiel receives, strange as it is, and he's quipped and breathed into to raise to a new task of life to preach. But you remember last week, if you were with us, we said he's actually given a pointless task. Ezekiel is called to preach to a people who won't listen. Read uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 3 to 5, talk about this, but chapter 3, which we looked at last week, verse 7, if you like to turn to it, chapter 3, verse 7. But the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. Difficult. One can only imagine 
after all this, how you would feel as Ezekiel. Even though they won't listen, God tells him in chapter 2, verse 5b, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And I assume that's why we have Ezekiel today, because he was recognised as that prophet. Just as God sees all, so you can't escape God's scrutiny. Even under punishment, Israel can't escape being told that they are being punished. God's presence through his word is relentless. And as we said, this message is rather bad news. But this message of God sees all, knows all, and is with you at all the times is actually good news for us, isn't it? This side of the cross. We know that Ezekiel has a tough time ahead. His audience is described as hard and listening. In another place, they're described as briars and thorns. Have you ever stepped on a big thorn? My goodness me. In Ezekiel chapter 2, Ezekiel is said to live among scorpions. <laughs> With all this, Ezekiel's handed a scroll, and it's written on back and front, and I'm afraid it's all bad news, full of it. For from the north, where the vision is coming from, judgment will come. But it's here that Ezekiel is presented with the glory of God coming in that judgment. God is descending in judgment against, Ezekiel chapter 10 tells us, the temple. Chapter 8 will remind us why Ezekiel's taken there and as they look in, he's told to look in to see what's going on there. God is descending in judgment. And Ezekiel has a tough job ahead of him with a tough message, as we were reminded from last week, but he is made tough to present it. We don't have any more time to do anything more today, so what are we to do with this? Well, one thing I wanted to say was, um, do you know that uh, Colin Buchanan song? It actually predates you, uh, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That's true. Now, uh, here it is. Ezekiel's vision very much reinforces that notion that our God is awesome. Our God is mighty, so mighty, so awesome and majestic in power. Amazing, dazzling. Let we say, lest we say almost beyond belief. Sometimes we reduce God to our friend, which is a hard thing to say because Jesus said, I'm your friend. <laughs> so we, we can't lose it. But he's not just my friend. He's not just the guy next door. He's not the guy next door. He's not the guy who he is a Lord and creator of all things. There's nothing like him. God is anything but like us. 
his purity, his perfection, his might, his power is blinding and nothing like less dear we say we can imagine. He is full of blinding light, so pure and unapproachable, so awesome and majestic that this God thunders across the plains to Ezekiel. And we need to check ourselves, don't we? Do we have a big enough God? What's our picture of our creator? The vision of Ezekiel really does remind us, uh, remind us of the revelation where there was a, lots of eyes as well, lots of things going on. The language is saying to us, look at our God. He is awesome and mighty, strong, powerful, and with us, which is our second point. God is with us and has appeared. Notice that to do Ezekiel. God could have just given him the message, but instead he came to him, and he came to him with an awesome apparition that is beyond almost description and Ezekiel struggles and we struggle to read it and struggle to understand and if you try to draw that picture of what that is it's very hard there are a few different versions but what God has done is he's appeared he came in a place where Ezekiel was already sitting with his people taken out of their land and deported, he came to him to say, I'm here, I'm with you. Something similar happened to us. Our God appeared in the person of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. John saw his greatness, as you know, you did John for uh, three or four years, I think. John chapter 1. Verse 14, which was, would have been a long time ago, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory. That's this, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Men who are living in Galilee don't easily say we have seen his glory. They know what they're saying. They know they're talking about the sort of glory that Ezekiel describes. God has appeared and come to us. Just as God came to Ezekiel, so Jesus came to us. God made flesh. He appeared that he might draw us to himself in his glory. He came that he might humble himself even to death on a cross, death a, that he died that we might live, a death we could not die, a life we could not live, he lived for us. We have a saviour who appeared, who wasn't just almighty, but he was with us, our Lord and our saviour. We have a saviour who appeared, who made sure that we are his. And in this, we have this, thirdly, this comfort of knowing the God of all knowing. The truth is, when you say God sees all and knows all, people get afraid. Maybe even you, maybe me. God knows all, he sees all, nothing can be hidden from him, which is part of this vision. God knows it all. 
But the truth is that as God sees everything and he can go anywhere and you can't get away from him or hide, this is wonderful, this side of the cross. Our side. Our side. They're wonderful because it means that you have an, can have enormous confidence and that God appeared and he's also with you and will never leave you. As Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have an enormous confidence in what it means for Christ to come. He came to us. We have been reconciled back to God. Not unlike here, unlike here, in these people, they haven't been brought back to God. God acted in our place to make sure we were not in exile but had been brought from death to life, not outside his people but with his people in Jesus. By the grace of God, we are now his, his family. We can say his friends, as Jesus says. Jesus' death on the cross has done away with the barrier of our disobedience. This God who knows all knows you. He knows our world. He knows what we're going through. He knows what you're going through. This God of might, awesome power, and majesty is also the God who has came to reside with us and in us. He sent Jesus that we might be his and we might know him. His might, his majesty, his power, his love, his appearance for us, his residing with us, him never leaving us, and then always with you wherever you go. This is our God. This is whom we worship. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father and King, we, uh, we must admit we struggle to understand Ezekiel's vision, but we are thrilled by the fact that you are so awesome and mighty. We are thrilled, excited by your power and majesty. We are comforted by your grace and mercy that you appeared to us in the person of our Lord Jesus, that from long ago you planned, you worked, and at the, just the right time he came, that we might be forgiven that we might know life, that he might step in where we needed him to step, that he would make us your people, his righteousness given to us. We who are fallen far short, who have fallen, should fall face down, have been breathed into by your spirit and we've been raised to new life. We are being transformed into the people you want us to be in the person of Jesus. We praise you and thank you that you know us, that you empower us, that you have changed us. You are continuing to do that. And we ask, Lord, as we 
come in a minute to celebrate that, that, Lord, we might again be encouraged that wherever we are, whatever is happening to us, our God is with us, even in strange places we might have it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.